Welcome in. You are listening to the Fundamental Analysis Show on Chit Chat Money. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I'm here with Ryan Henderson, and we are talking a, another advertising company. Uh, correct, yeah. adver- they're part of the advertising uh, network or infrastructure. It is called Live Ramp Holdings. Ticker is R-A-M-P. And Ryan actually had a chance to talk with one of the employees there. So do you want to give a, you know, you're going to go into a little deeper dive on what they do and then the history of the company because it is quite complicated. It's not something I think really any normal consumer would know about. Right. You touched on it there. It's, uh, first of all, it's B2B. So uh, most consumers do not know about it. And also, it took me a long time to figure out the business model, what all goes into it. I, I still don't know all of it, um, but I did get the chance to talk to one of their employees, um, and she, she gave me a much better understanding for it. Before I get into what she said, um, they, I have a quote from their investor relations page. If, if any of you are good with tech, maybe you'll be able to understand uh, what they said, but it's LiveRamp provides the identity platform leveraged by brands and their partners to deliver innovative products and exceptional experiences. So that's their jargon for it. What I'm learning is, okay, so I'm going to try to simplify it both for myself and for the listeners. So LiveRamp has tons of clients that provide customer data to them. So think uh, like Visa sends data to LiveRamp, let's say. That's the customer data. LiveRamp then pools that customer data into what are called identity links. So these identity links are anonymous. um, So they don't have like a name to them, but they'll have all the data to essentially be an identity. Um, So an example here, this um, ID link 155 uh, lives in Washington. He's male. He's 25 years old and he makes $100,000 a year. And it's got all this data points but it has no name to it because I'm pretty sure with one of the new consumer privacy protection acts, there is like a rule against selling data because it is, maybe it's always been that way, but you can't sell a person's data because a company doesn't own that person's data. So this essentially takes customer data and moves it into anonymous identities. So which you can still target and segment legally, um, and it has the privacy, but you aren't, um, it's not an actual person, essentially. Yeah, that's how, that's how most of these go, I believe. Uh, even with Facebook or Google, you're just kind of going through a cohort of a person where, you know, interests, likes, what they've done in the past, transaction data, things like that. Right. And so the identity leak link is basically the center of the business. So the revenue that they generate all stems in various ways from the identity link. So one common way that they might generate revenue would be DSPs. So think the trade desk uh, or other demand side platforms pay for the identity link so they can better target ads for their customers. So they can figure out which uh, of those identity links or groups of identity, identity links they might want to target. But all aspects of the ad tech funnel use live ramp. So DSPs, SSPs, publishers, brands, advertisers, they all use LiveRamp in one way or another. It's not like they just feed them to demand side platforms. It's all of them using them, which is why they have the scale that they have. So for reference, they have roughly 200 million identity links. Facebook, who is basically the name in advertising, has 220 million identities. I don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that was the number. So uh, 
that kind of gives a reference for the scale that they have. And I hopefully it simplifies the business model enough so everyone can understand it. Yeah. I mean, 200 seems like a lot, 200 million, but I, that's weird that Facebook only has 220 million. Is that just from people that they have like core user data on for people that use the stuff a lot? Because it seems like it should be higher, right? I mean, it must be, it must be, yeah, essentially the identities of core user data. I'm assuming um, it was in one of uh, uh, live ramps sort of slides that I saw that. Okay. Um, but I'm going to get into the history. Uh, live ramp holdings is what they're called. Used to be known as Axiom Corporation was actually founded all the way back in 1969. So it used to be known as Demographics Incorporated in Conway, Arkansas. So originally all they did was produce mailing lists using phone books and payroll processing. But after tons of name changes and acquisitions, Axiom bought uh, LiveRamp in 2014 for $310 million. At the time, LiveRamp was a spin-out of RapLeaf, which was a marketing and data company. Um, and LiveRamp back then was combining data sources to better segment and target customers, a little similar to what they do now. Um, but slowly, Axiom started to sell off the other parts of their business, and they, begin to, they began to acquire and integrate new businesses into LiveRamp, and eventually they just changed its name to LiveRamp. So it must have been successful enough that they basically just pivoted the entire business into LiveRamp. Um, their first public equity offering was actually in 1983. Side note, I took a look at the management team and quite the impressive resume for a lot of the people. Yeah, I think the CEO was the was a CFO at Amazon, which I guess people love um, Amazon executives for good reason. Usually they have done quite well uh, with the success of that company, but I'll get into the valuation here. They have a market cap of $2.2 billion, ticker of R-A-M-P, that is RAMP, uh, and a price of $32.80, and that is of April 11th, 2020. So we're recording this on the Saturday, so the last trading day was on the 9th, so that's where the price is uh, closed at. Their EV to sales is at 4.7, margin adjusted price to sales of 36. Again, that is price to sales divided by sales growth and gross margin, trying to combine all of the uh, growth metrics that maybe a basic valuation would take into account, especially for a company like this that isn't profitable. And for reference, 36 is below average, but not by much. Uh, their cash flow is break even and has been positive uh, the last quarter, I think, but net margins are really low. And that is probably the nature of where they are at in a business. And they also reference that they use a lot of stock-based compensation for acquisitions and uh, employee acquisitions. So if they're doing like aqua hires or, you know, acquiring a small company, things like that, they say they use stock as currency, which will, uh, you'll get back. So it's not a cash expense. So you'll get higher operating cash flow, but your net income will be lower because it is technically a gap expense. Mm-hmm. They have no dividend and their shares have actually gone down from 77 to 67 million over the past year, which is quite a lot. And they've returned over 1 billion in capital to shareholders since 2011. So they're big into share buybacks, net debt of neg- negative 782 million, very clean balance sheet from a liability standpoint. So really good. They got a lot of uh, wiggle room uh, in case they have a downturn here. And then sales and marketing right now is at about 50% of revenue. And so just so everyone knows, net debt, um, when we use a net 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 debt number and it's negative, that means there is no debt. Um, like it's a positive. Well, net well debt. they could they could have debt, but the cash um, and current asset, cash at equivalents outweighs that. 
Okay, right. And so sometimes that can kind of be a little misleading when I first read it. Um, but I'll get into the earnings. So their third quarter ended December 31st, 2019. So they've got one of those weird gap schedules, I guess. Um, and so the third quarter revenue was the third quarter was basically the last quarter they reported third quarter revenue was $102 million up 28% year over year. This was their first quarter ever reporting revenue of higher than hundred million. Good for them. I guess they really made sure to highlight that um, subscription revenue was 82 million up 25% marketplace and other revenue was 21 million up 38%. Uh, they had 63% gross margins that actually expanded six percentage points. So last year I believe it was 57%. Operating loss was 41 million last year. That operating loss was 48 million this time. Um, th- this time last year, operating cash flow was 16 million last year. They had negative 11 million in operating cash flow. So good pivot there. Net loss of 38 million for the quarter. Like you said, net margins are not great. They're, I mean, they are non-existent actually. But cash and cash equivalents totaled 606 or 767 million at the end of the quarter. They repurchased 121 million in shares since March 31st, 2019, and they're spending around 51% of revenue on sales and marketing. I did get some of their customer numbers though. They've increased direct subscription customers 20% year over year to a total count of 770. Remember, these are businesses when I say customers. They now serve 21% of the Fortune 500 companies, now have 50 customers whose subscription contracts exceed 1 million in annualized revenue, and their subscription net retention was 112% for the quarter. All good customer numbers there. Um, And outside of the profitability metrics, looked relatively solid. Welcome back. Let's hit the second half of the show here. First up is digging trenches, and that is the moat rating. Uh, I mean, I'll just keep mine short. I don't think they have one right now because uh, they're not a walled garden. They're not vertically integrated. They're just a piece, well, you know, an important piece of the advertising landscape. They're not the entire thing, and I think they're subjugated. Uh, subjected, sorry, uh, to dealing with large companies like Facebook, Google, and others. Yeah. Um, sorry if my phone went off there and you guys heard that. Uh, but yeah, I agree. The moat is, it, it, they're too small right now. And unless you're one of the walled gardens, especially in the ad tech space, it's hard to give you any sort of moat. Um, I will say that they offer sort of a differentiator in terms of what they do versus those walled gardens. I think their only true competitor, uh, based on talking with their employee, their largest competitor is Oracle, um, which also is a very large company. So they've got a lot of capital to fight against. I'm going to go low, probably one or two. If you're buying it, you're probably not buying it for their moat. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, All right, next up, further reading. Uh, What are you looking into uh, more if you were thinking about buying this stock? So... Uh, pricing power is number one versus their competitors. And then that also leads into what's their customer value proposition versus Oracle. So we, uh, when I was talking with the employee, she was saying that um, the, the differentiator there is that they are an independent party. So they're not pitching any of their own stuff. Oracle uses their um, ad tech solutions to kind of pitch their own stuff. So they're also involved. I, I can't, I like as, as someone who's not a business, it's hard for me to differentiate what the value is versus one of those. So uh, 
that it, that's definitely something you want to look into if you're buying shares. Yeah, I guess net net retention rate is a good indicator, I think. Uh, but I'll go into mine. Uh, and I guess net retention is not perfect, but mine would be addressable market. You know, how necessary is the spending when times are tight? Uh, is it a, you know a stable market? Is it consumer or business discretionary, or is it business like cyc- cyclical or whatever those terms are? You know, something that they're going to spend on a business is going to spend on all the time, or can they choose to not spend on it? I think they probably lie in the part where a business can stop spending on them, which I think is not a good thing. But again, this is probably something where you'd want to go through the S1, uh, read all those or go through the 10K and look at everything that they're you know related to and then all the companies that they could potentially work with. If it's not that much larger than what they are right now, obviously their uh, growth is going to stall and that can be an issue if you're pricing in a lot of growth when you're buying the stock. But I'll get into the next uh, section here, future growth opportunities. What do you have? So mine is their authenticated traffic solution or ATS. So ATS is a solution for publishers and supply side platforms that helps them recognize authenticated users on site in real time. So that allows them to better enable data informed ad targeting. And okay, so think about it this way. The users on your site, and the the identity link, I should say, is on your site. You're able to recognize that real time. That's going to allow you more valuable ad space um, as far as like yield that way. And so, I mean, you can imply kind of the uh, benefits for an SSP there. Um, but then on top of that, it, it, for your own data-informed targeting, if you wanted to target new stuff, think about how valuable that ATS solution would be. Yeah, that makes sense that, I mean, it's a little complicated uh, because it's something we're not like we we don't ever use personally um, and it's a little tougher to see, but you want like, I mean, auth- I don't know. It just seems like it makes sense. It, they could easily be tricking us here. You know what I'm trying to say? Where like they're saying all these cool tech terms. It makes it sound good that they're valuable to companies, but it could just be, uh, I don't think it is all bullshit, but it could just be stuff like that, right? Yeah. And okay. So I will mention that the employee that I talked to and then another person that I talked to in the ad space, Deval Kotecha, who we've had on the show here, both of them mentioned that they've had to start using it recently and that they've, uh, they've found the relevance of it through their own work. And they both obviously work in the ad tech space. So I'm taking their judgment for it. Um, and I, I have, I'm so not tech savvy. And basically anyone that's worked with me knows that. So um, I am really just taking their word for it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll get, in, I'll get into my future growth opportunity. It is Live Ramp Safe Haven. They launched this barely a month ago. And I'll go give some quotes here from the press release. Live Ramp Safe Haven enables omni-channel data and audience collaboration in a neutral, permission-controlled, privacy-first environment to ensure the safety and security of data. Basically, I think that means that Omnichannel data just is like every, you know, data from everywhere, from a lot of different places, and then they combine it. They get audience collaboration, which I think means collaboration from different partners, say someone like Visa and Facebook or Visa and Spotify or someone like those is working together. And then neutral means that they don't like benefit directly from this data. They're the third party, the Switzerland, as they like to call themselves. And then they're permission controlled, which means, and then privacy first which is following all the laws. Another quote they have here, they said, for example, if you're a retailer, you've 
historically been limited in your ability to deliver shopping insights to your CPG partners. With LiveRamp Safehaven, you now have the capability to collaborate with your CPGs and provide them with insights. Essentially, it is another way for them to be the middleman and help, say, like your Walmart and you have a CPG, which is like Campbell Soups. You work together, use LiveRamp's capabilities to better target, better get you know the food out to the people and you know stocking, things like that. All the things that can help both of those businesses work better together. Yeah, and both of those are both of our future growth opportunities are examples of ways in which they generate revenue stemming from the identity link. So that's kind of the base, and then you kind of work around that. And there are a lot of products that are a little too complicated for us to understand, but um, it's based around that core technology. What are your highlights and lowlights? Highlights. First one's easy strong balance sheet. And then I got another one here. They're partnering with the important players like Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, Spotify. Uh, They mentioned that in the conference call and on some of their, uh, what do they have? Like presentations that they partner with these large companies. And the company has proven they can reinvent themselves. They're not anchoring to all their old business models that can change and disrupt themselves. Then I also like the strong net retention rate. That is a good sign. The low lights for me, I do not like data-driven ads businesses as much as I can stay away from those I can. I guess the only, really the only ones that um, that I truly own would be like Match Group and Roku uh, would be something like that. But I typically don't like that just because politically there's a lot of uh, things that can go wrong there. There could be more regulations coming down the line that could ruin a business like this. They have a huge operating loss history, at least from the past few years here. Although it's getting better, it is quite large. And they could be greatly impacted by a company trying to vertically integrate on data-driven ads. Although I think they have made itself made it clear that they are the like someone can't just take this business from them because right. say Facebook or someone tried to do this, people wouldn't want to work with Facebook in this way. They want to work with a neutral third party. I think it's similar to how Roku is more popular maybe among the advertisers and things like that or and then like the uh, services compared to someone like Amazon and Apple who have actually competing uh, streaming video services. And Does that make sense at all? Yeah, and they're partnering with some of those companies. So Facebook, uh, you know, partnering with them is almost validation of their technology um, in, in when you think of them as a competitor, it's almost more like they're validated by Facebook there. Um, my highlights are the customer value prop seems to be there. And to touch on your low light, the data-driven ad space, I used, to, like, I used to feel that same way. And now I'm starting to realize if I'm going to have a hard time investing if I'm like against that because most companies generate revenue in that way, either that or subscription. But um, you're basically eliminating like half the companies in the world if you're against ad tech. Um, I will say though that yeah, uh, highlights uh, of the people that I've talked to in the ad tech space. A lot of them are saying that more and more people are using them, which is anecdotal, but it's helpful, I guess. Um, and then yeah, like I said, the customer value prop seems to be there. My lowlights though is that in the last twelve months, they've had operating losses of one hundred eighty-eight million. Operating margins are getting better, but with their current cash balance, that gives them just over four years of operating runway, runway without having to significantly decrease costs. Or raise more money. Usually, I'm 
a little, I usually get a little upset if there's a high marketing spend as a percentage of revenue. And that is like the one red flag for me here on the business. Um, uh, so I, w- I want to see operating expenses decrease as a percentage of revenue, continue to do that at least slowly. Yeah. And then one note on the operating losses, uh, the, I would look at the cash flow because yeah, if they do a bunch of stock-based compensation, uh, that is an expense, but it's not a cash expense. Uh, and shares are going to go up like shares outstanding are going to go up and you're going to get diluted, but it's technically not going to impact them on their balance sheet. Uh, although if they do buy back stock, that is redeploying that cash and maybe neutralizing the shares, but then you're actually depleting your cash balance. Yeah. All right. What's your rating for the stock? Mm, I like it. I think, I think there's a chance I could buy it someday, but not like this week or something like that. I'm definitely going to need to do more research just because it's a new business, something I haven't looked at before. Uh, but I'll give it like a seven, five, pretty standard, like some of the things on here, but I really want to know, can this be a way larger business uh, if I'm going to buy in? And I just don't know that right now. It's honestly, if you're going to, it's almost in the too hard pile uh, for me where it's not worth it to spend one to two months researching the company and then coming away, still not really understanding why people use it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in line with you there. I'm going to go with an eight. Uh, My problem is that, yes, it goes in the too hard pile. It's out of my circle of competence. Um, But uh, maybe I spend the next month researching it and I find out that I really like it uh, because there are a lot of things to like about it from what I'm understanding. I wish I was in the ad tech space so I had a better understanding for this. It, It might if I had a better understanding of the entire business model, the products that they offer and the entire customer value prop, this could be like a nine because the numbers weren't bad. Um, as paying attention to operating cash flow, they weren't bad. Um, and management seems stellar and I like the product that they offer, but there's just too many things I guess I don't understand about the business. Yeah. And you have to, you have to take into account if you research more, you might find out you might not like it as much and it would come down to all the way to like a six or something you would never invest in at all. Uh, just because it's something you didn't know about and you found out later. Right. Right. All right. Uh, yeah, that could happen as well. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to follow us as always on Twitter to give us updates or we'll give you updates and you give us suggestions on the show. We did have a review. Uh, Thank you for someone giving us an iTunes review and they said we should get an email so people who aren't on Twitter can give us suggestions there. I think we'll do that. We'll try to have it up by the next episode. So we'll uh, give that out. So if there's, you know, anyone that wants to give out suggestions on that, feel free to do so. Uh, Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you for listening to this episode. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you.